Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 343 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Stefan Buckman of Robotality about their turn-based tactical adventure game, Pathway. I've played a lot of tactical adventure games over the years. Final Fantasy Tactics being one of the most famous Shining Force games. They were really good, 1 to 3. Even Shining Force CD on Mega CD, which I do own a copy of, is apparently worth a lot of money. But don't worry, I'm not going to sell it. Why would I do that? That would be insane. Anyway, yes, Pathway. Really fun game set in the early 1930s where you do actually get to punch Nazis. Very good. In a turn-based-like fashion. A lot of real raw modelling of risk-reward right in your face when you're playing this game. It's exceptional. Really good fun. I'm really happy to have Stefan on to chat about its design and development. Recently came out on the Switch. Highly recommend it. It's quite an achievement to get this game onto the Switch because it wasn't lend itself to that particular platform, but it's great to see it on there. And yeah, I think this is a really interesting conversation about its development because there's some really interesting aspects of the game, nuances, mechanics that we really delved into quite deeply. So, yeah, you want to stick around for this one? So, we, shall we listen to me from the past? Yeah, let's do that. Chris, if you'd be so kind. Stefan. Hi. Who are you and what do you do? I am a game designer, an independent game designer for um, Robotality. It's a game studio I started with my brother, Simon, and we make tactics games, really. Um, lots of them are, well, all two of them are, they're definitely retro-inspired, like they have a very unique kind of retro look, and yeah, we enjoy tactics games, so that's what we make. 
Right. Well, you're very good at it. That's what we got you on to tell about Pathway. Or Thank you. The game the Commandos could have been given another 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Commandos is one of my. Yeah, no, it's, my it's, it's, it's I've true. got a warm, fuzzy feeling towards Commandos. Even though, looking at it now, playing it now, oh, God, Stefan, oh, what, what was my memory? It, oh, boy. It's a hard game. <laughs> it's a hard, it's a hard game. game, though. Yeah, it really but is. I'm just, I just, I've been dying to say that to you, and but I was going <laughs> to keep my powder dry until we actually start recording. So I had a bit of a virtual green room beforehand, everyone. But uh, Commandos, what a series of games, um, yeah. which did spawn some like you know, there was a Star Trek one called Away Team. It was terrible, but you know they tried. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. honestly, it's like one of those types of games that I feel like it, we should see more of again. Like there was recently, like what was the game called? There was like one, like the, the samurai one. Like the there was one that was kind of like it. I forgot the name, but yeah. I feel like this is an area of games that really could see like another take and a modern take on it, with some of the frustrations removed. And it's yeah. an interesting area. It is that kind of vision. What are you gonna do? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I just found it so fast satisfying. But before we get onto that, let's uh, ask you the next question, which <laughs> sure. is, how did you make your start making video games? Yeah, um, so it started actually fairly early. Um, my, it was like probably the earliest was probably on Amiga. So I grew up on Amiga and um, I started making games there with Amiga Basic. And so that was probably when I was like around eight or nine just kind of taking from these magazines, copying the game code over and seeing what happens, basically. Um, and then that would lead to kind of doing some basic text adventure games. Uh, and yeah, and then eventually my so my brother, he was also really into computers and he's six years older. So he had a bit of a head start on me, but we we kind of started making games together. And it, this eventually led to us forming what um like a, a computer club at our high school and from there we just kind of started making games and then we kind of split ways he actually went to become um an artist at a triple a studio up in germany and i kind of did my own thing and eventually found my way back into uh programming as a web dev and from there, then we kind of, I got really interested again in, in, in making games and my brother and I reconnected making games in like our 20s. And then eventually we started making jam games. Um, Ludum Dare is like one of the big ways we made games at the beginning, released a couple mobile games. Um, and eventually we just, we, we went full time. Yeah, we got the opportunity to go full time as indies thanks to an amazing opportunity. Um, where someone was willing to invest into us as a business and that's yeah that's where we got started it's interesting how you made your your, your start on the amiga um a, a fine machine which somehow somehow i still can't fathom it still lives on Stefan. i'm not sure if you know this but uh, it's still it, going <laughs> yeah there's a big community around it yeah i'm not it really is. following it as much but my brother simon actually he is like he's He's still got his Amiga, and he's been, like, modding it and adding things to it. Like, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it still is. a lot of love around. I do have mine. I have two. Uh, one, one is pretty vanilla, although I've, I've replaced the hard disk with a solid-state yeah. thing. And But other than that, it's pretty – that one's, like, just leave it alone. But I've 
modding and sort of tweaking with it, but just trying to keep it as was as humanly possible. I had to replace the capacitors recently on it. But the other one, no, it's, not, it's barely an Amiga. It's no, it it runs Quake yeah. at thirty frames. That's not an Amiga. That's I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's not a PC because it hasn't got an Intel PC, you know, CPU or anything like that. Or, I don't know. It's a monster. It's fine. It's in so, the tower. What Amiga? <laughs> what Amiga is it that you? you it's have? it's an A twelve hundred, but it's got a a six eight zero four zero processor running at forty megahertz, which is ridiculous okay. for an Amiga. And it's got sort of sixty four megs of RAM. And it's got a graphics card. Yeah. Which at that point, yeah. you go, I don't know. No, it's got a VGA output. Yeah. An actual, genuine VGA. No. What's that? It's in a tower. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a CD it's, drive. It's really, um, I don't know what that is. You know, Amiga was an amazing computer for the time. Like, it, was, it had. It was. Like, what it was capable of doing is really quite remarkable. Um, and, like, it seems it's very regional as well. Like, I think yes. Europe, kind of Central Europe, had a lot of love for Amiga. But, like, if you, like lots of people I meet overseas, they're just, they didn't grow up in Amiga. It was just not around. Um, so it's... I think the great common thing that brought us the world together, and you may disagree, but something happened in the mid-90s. A small grey slab of plastic from Japan called the PlayStation basically yeah. brought everyone together. You know, because yeah. until then we we're all doing our own thing. We were doing the Amigas and the, and the STs, and you know we we're doing all that in Europe and in North America is the NES and and that kind of thing. Whereas then all of a sudden this PlayStation went or Sony went. What, what about what about this? <laughs> and everyone mm. just went nuts. And um, then it all sort of like brought us all together. And what's lovely is that North Americans, especially, and you know this because you live in Canada, they're discovering what we were doing. <laughs> When yeah, well, while yeah. we're playing around with the NES, which is a fantastic machine, which I have now discovered to be a fantastic machine, was there now discovering all these 8-bit computers and 16-bit computers mm. that we were enjoying in Europe. So it's all good. It's just um, having to answer the same questions over. And it's like, did you really only have four discs for Wing Commander? Yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> Thanks, custom chips. Thank you very much. But um, it's just fascinating to hear you started your, your your faltering steps on the Amiga of all things. But no, it had some amazing uh, it programming, some proprietary programming languages. There was some really good stuff that you could use for compilers. And people really sort of learned their their thing on it. But um, because of all the custom chips, you had to do certain things. You could you could take for granted that it would, oh that would take care of that. That would take care of that. Whereas when he went yeah. onto the other other sort of platforms, he went, yeah, that's not that's not there. Have you got some libraries, maybe? What? <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, you know, like obviously there was. I was so young, like my mm. ability to create a game was non-existent. But it was it right. was just it was where I got interested <clears throat> in the whole area and l learned the basics of, of programming and yeah. yeah, yeah. And then from that, you then spawned a career, and here we are. So yeah. it's really, it's in, I mean, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's speaking to someone who has, has three siblings, you, you're working with one. That's fair play to you, my friend. Right? <laughs> so, that's, that's, that's a thing. So you are a, you have a creative endeavor. And as a creator of things, Stefan, you can answer this personally or as robotality. It doesn't matter which. But what do you believe are your biggest influences? Yeah, there is lots. I mean, mm. yeah. So 
I mean, what comes to mind immediately definitely is the, the early Amiga games um, had a big influence on us. Um, Bitmap Brothers um, and some of like the the Talion games. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Amber Moon. Oh, um, yes. And that was... It, I actually don't think it was actually ever released in English. I think it was actually only released in German. Okay. Or maybe it was released in English. I'm not sure. There but, was the Battle um, Isle games. They were good. Yeah. 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 So, so those early games and Wing Commander was definitely like also like one of those Amiga games. Like a lot of those games had a huge impact on us growing up. Like it's one of the games that we were playing. So there's no question kind of our love for retro games come from that time period. And um, that's something that we really try to integrate in our games is, is taking some of that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling the retro games have, um, at least for us, maybe not for other people, but we, we try and kind of make them into a put them into a modern into a modern framework, um, presenting them to a new audience, and, yeah, really taking that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's so many influences I could go on. Like, you know, like we were just beforehand briefly talking offline about pen and paper RPGs. Like, this is mm-hmm. definitely also something that for us had a big impact where, like, we used to play, um, you know, regularly as a family around the table, just uh, a German pen and paper RPG um, called the Schwarze Auge. I think it's like the Dark Eye DSA. Oh, the Dark Eye, yes, I've heard of it. Um, yeah. I've never played it myself. I play a lot of RPGs, as Little's known, currently playing the new Dune RPG at the moment, and Inspire, and I'm playing, and also D&D, but that's a given. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's not unlike that. D&D. No, yeah, it's, it's not similar unlike... to D&D. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, you know, that's another thing, like, we're just kind of those fantasy world sci-fi worlds like it just or as a family we were kind of doing that and so it's definitely like a huge part of that as well um and like on the other hand you know board games well card games like i'm thinking magic specifically like that was definitely a, a game in my in my high school that took up all my time playing it all the time in high school mm-hmm. um so yeah there's there's lots of influences yeah, I can, I can see certainly from the mechanics point of view and what we've got with Pathway, which we're here to talk about uh, principally, but we'll get on to that in the second half. As regular listeners will know, be, be patient. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, it's there's definitely, I can see where all these different things are being drawn from. And yes, Pathway is set in a, in a reality or a, a thing or a place which is very similar to Indiana Jones in that it's sort of like that pulp fiction you know um sort of um not the pulp fiction film that's a separate thing but the the yeah, pulp fiction from yeah. the early 30s and you know saturday morning um cinema where you had the um you know will the such and such um escape the terrible prison and etc you know it's something that's all before my time uh, but it's certainly something that was a huge cultural thing back in back in the 60s and, and the early part of the 70s as far as I understand in the 50s so and then that's all part of the Indiana Jones thing mm. and also a great opportunity to punch Nazis in the face actually to get to punch them which is great great that's, that's an opportunity you can do it's great um, people pay for that they do they do <laughs> um but um I just love the fact that there's, you know, there's two, there's aspects of it. I can see what you're drawing from all those, those influences, drawing from the idea of, of, of both the, the 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 sense of 
progression due to your decisions you'll make not because they're foisted upon you and that's definitely something that's only early parts of adventure games like um uh, uh just trying to think maybe loom that's uh, a bit that's not an amiga mm-hmm. game but you know that, that has that kind of feeling that oh no you made that tell you made a decision i did not railroad into you into that at all no way and just like in rpgs as speaking to myself as a dm i desperately try to avoid making sure that the players have agency, making sure that they understand that it's their decision yeah. they've gone this route. Nothing to do with me gently easing them along. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. maybe, oh, but what's that shiny thing over there? It's not important, don't worry. You know, that's not important, when in fact it is the most important thing. But, you know, it works for me. It's subtle. But again, the same thing we've done with Pathways, that, and also the other games is the feeling of, that thing, shiny thing over there, it's not important. Turns out it is. It's just, it's not, and it just gives the sense of player, it gives them the sense of agency. And that's what mm. I get with Pathway. And whether it's conscious or unconscious, I think it is conscious with you guys, is you, you, you empathise with the player because you're players yourselves. And you want to make yeah. sure that the, the, the engagement is a feeling of, I make these choices and they mean something. It might not necessarily be the case, but at least they give the illusion of choice rather than not which is you know yeah awful. yeah i know definitely a deliberate decision yeah um i mean we can definitely get into that more yeah and yeah you know. but it's you know i'm running an open world couple of open world campaigns on dungeons and dragons and it's it's a bit tough for the dm because you've got to read everything <laughs> just make sure that like what if we go down that turn? please don't go down there. i haven't read that bit please don't Oh God! <laughs> I'll delay. I'll delay. I know. Um, oh, let's look at that big owlbear. Oh, look, they go running after the owlbear. Well, I yeah. try to prepare, but you know, it's 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 just you know, you you got to make give them freedom. You got to give them that illusion of so illusion of choice, but also actual choice. And that's what I get from Pathway, and that's what I'm getting from you now. It sort of reconfirms what I thought. Is that your background is yes in pen and paper RPG, which is a very powerful and flexible and open world concept anyway. Uh, whereas how do you do that really in computer form? And I think you've done it quite well. So my next question is this. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Can I say could be more a person, could be more than one? Could be a company. Okay, good. Because it's it's, it's going to be hard just picking one, but just with uh, one is not impossible. <laughs> so, someone that like one developer that I really admire is Subset Games, and I think that's also something that's not going to be surprising to people playing Pathway. Um, so the makers of FTL and Into the Breach, and I, I love just how they manage to create so much with so little. Um, I think they take really great gameplay concepts and work on them a really long time to really make them polished and fun and interesting. And the the kind of the package that comes with it around that, like the you know the visual package or like so that like it's not like it's like they're still they look good. It's just not the focus of the game like i don't play them because i want to look at the visuals i play them because they have a really interesting core concept and so i just i really appreciate like how much they do um yeah with just very good core gameplay um and 
just make that really interesting. So for me, like that, they're definitely developers that I just I look forward to to seeing what they're going to do next. But both FTL and Into the Breach for me were were really interesting games that I played a lot. Um, and you know, like something someone completely different for me, someone like um, I don't know if you're familiar with the developer Orange Pixel. He's um he's a one man in the dev um in the Netherlands and um he he's been making games for like 20 years as an indie I think like close to that and for me that's just that kind of consistency and creating a sustainable business is super inspiring and I admire that that someone can go through all these changes of of hardware from you know like early mobile games to like um newer mobile games on iPhone, Android, to like now transitioning to consoles and being able to have a business that survives through all those different stages as a one person business is for me is really like, like I really admire that. It's just, there's a consistency to it. And like, a, I guess also like just a, a cleverness to adapting to the situation that I, I really, yeah, I think that's fantastic. And but, yeah, that's, I, I admire to be like that in the business, like where we can survive for 20 years, you know? I'm going to have to hunt this stuff out. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, it's Orange Pixel, did you say? It's a great name. But yeah. yeah, Orange Pixel, yeah. yeah. Um, they're just recently, I think, um, actually announced that they're going with um, Apogee. Like, they just started publishing oh, games again. Oh, yeah, they did, And so they? they're... Yeah. Yeah, and so they're, they're, I think one of the first titles they're now publishing is from Orange Pixel. So yeah. Whenever I think of Apogee, I just think, oh, why don't try it? <laughs> immediately, my brain just goes, I know they've done many other games, but that's the first one that immediately springs to mind. Like, oh, they did that one, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's, that's what I have to check that out. Yeah, but to have to be able to shift from one platform to the other and just go, it's okay, it's still, it's still games, right? It doesn't really matter if it's on a a PlayStation 5 weird behemoth with a big wing sticking out the top of it, or a small, I don't know, or Nokia 310, whatever they're called. I can't remember what they're called now, but you know the ones that don't die? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which played Snake. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but it's, and it'll be, yeah. it'd be really interesting to see actually how much of, of his audience kind of has gone with him through these different stages. Mm. Like, you know, I'd imagine there's probably some people that started playing the games like on those Nokia phones because I think he actually made a couple of games on those phones. Mm. And then like transition to iPhone, you know, like how much of that audience has carried over. It'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. So last question of the first half. It's a question I love to ask because it gives me an inkling of what kind of makes you, either inspires you or allows you to just sort of turn off for a bit and do something else. Um, but what are you playing right now? So right now I mostly play games that are quick to pick up mm-hmm. and kind of play for short periods of time and put down again. And it's mostly just because um, I'm, I'm a dad now and it's mm-hmm. just there's not a lot. Like I can't dedicate hours and hours at a time to a game. So if a yeah. game requires my attention for long periods of time, it kind of actually just like I just don't want to play it. And so, so games that I've been playing recently, um, Loop Hero is, is one that I got really addicted to. Um, and I think it has a really nice and tight core gameplay loop that I think is fantastic. And it's exactly that. Like, you know, I can pick it up for one round, put it away after like 20 minutes and I'm, I'm happy, right? Um, 
And similarly, like Dead Cells is it's been out for a while now, but it's it's got the same kind of thing from where I can just pick it up for one run and then put it down again. But it's got a really interesting just gameplay loop that keeps me entertained and keeps me um, going. And yeah, and it's also it's it's interesting for me now playing games with my boy. Um, he's just turning four, and so like kind of being able to to do that. So we've we've been playing um, the Link's Awakening remake on the Nintendo Switch. Beautiful, isn't and, it? I like yeah, it anyway, and it's, the oh, I I actually really like the what they've done with the art style. I think it looks really good, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it's a perfect game to play with my boy. And he's kind of getting interested in games now, and so it's yeah, it's, it's revisiting oh. one of my childhood favorites, but in a modern re- retake with him is really cool. So yeah, it always fascinated me because Nintendo did release about ten fifteen years ago. I think it's longer than that. I don't admit that, but they released all the Zeldas except that one. And on a on for the GameCube, they said, "Here's here's all of them except that one." Why? Just reasons. <laughs> but just it's a really good one, I know. And then it turns out they're re-releasing it on the Game Boy Advance, or they're re-releasing it on the, the DS and that kind of thing. They were just they kept on because they know it's a really really good Zelda. Yeah. Link to the past. Yeah. Uh, I know everyone sort of fawns over Ocarina, rightly so, because it's a wonderful game. But um, I think Link to the Past has a little bit, uh, is, is you know, different enough. And then Breath of the Wild is its own thing, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm ashamed to say I actually haven't spent much time with Breath of the Wild, so it's yeah. I I can't actually talk much no. to that. I think it's sort of that little bit of it. I think it would take a lot of my attention, and yeah. I'm not sure if I have that it's attention to give right now. No, so, no. Um, maybe. Um, but yeah, like I. Maybe yeah, Zelda: The Link's Awakening for me, I think it's just, I don't know, it's 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 got a spot in my heart because I played it as a kid on on the Super yeah, Nintendo, yeah. so I think it's just it's there. It is rightly so. Uh, I mean, speaking personally, I picked up Mass Effect Legendary Edition and went, oh yeah, and started playing through that because I don't have kids to, to to, and that's fine. But boy, Stefan, may I say, the first one, I know they've revamped it, but that is a one hell of a clunky game. <laughs> uh, it's just you know we were talking about not being shepherded pun intended down a certain path just yeah. here's a choice here's a, here's another one yeah <laughs> it's like oh it's just I, so it's fine the story is more or less engaging enough and the people are in it the characters in it are more or less interesting enough to keep me going but honestly it's just like oh god <laughs> <laughs> Could we get yeah. on to the second one now, please? But I'm just finishing off the first one, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I want to play it. Like, it, I want to play it because I really enjoyed the games originally when they came yeah. out. Um, yeah. And so I'm yeah. really just for that reason, I'd want to play it again and see what it feels like now. Um, but yeah, I I have a feeling I'll probably feel the same way as you, where it's just it didn't After, all age well. We're both we both study game design because we have to. And that's what the problem is, or let's say problem, because you just sit and go, we can do this way better now. I know we can do this kind of thing way better now, but you have to forget it. It's fourteen years, and that's an age in video game industry. It's a huge yeah. amount of time. We've learned so much in that period. Um, Bioware themselves have learned a lot for good and ill, but that's a discussion for another podcast, not this one. But point is. I just um, it was just fascinating to start playing it, and then all of a sudden you find yourself playing. I mean, it's like listening to an old album you haven't listened to for decades. The last time you heard it was when you know. So I was 
all of a sudden my brain suddenly flushed back to 2007 and that was weird Stefan <laughs> it's like oh yeah I was doing that back then and all these things just sort of memories flushing back oh it's before the iPhone or when it was just arriving like oh yeah there was a time before the iPhone <laughs> It's just, it's it's it was very interesting to to have those memories. So that's what reason why I do it. And similar to you, look, link to the past. You maybe maybe when you started playing it, you just suddenly remember. Oh, I remember we used to sit down, and there's like all of a sudden these memories start flushing. Have you found that or not? Yeah, no, for sure, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, uh, it, it's like yeah, I just I remember like a specific because in picture in my head of. When we were playing the game, we used like a guide because we couldn't figure out how to solve some of the puzzles. So I just have like this flashback memory of sitting like with my friend in like his um, living room and going through the guide, trying to figure out how it like how to actually solve this puzzle. But yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, that was such obviously such a different time there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I have to remind people, it's fourteen years, not not five. It's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like no, that was fourteen. No, oh. <laughs> so anyway, that's enough of that. Let's move on to the second half, where we delve deep into pathway. So, before I can ask you about Pathway, we need to inform the listener as to what it is. Because you know how annoying it is when it's a podcast and people ramble on about a game without saying what the game is, they just ramble off. We don't do that around here. Oh no. So, the Zeroth question, as it's known, is this. Stefan, what is Pathway? Pathway is a turn-based adventure game I like to call it that takes elements of kind of like choose your own adventure style books and mixes it with turn-based combat Um, a a big focus of the game is on it being approachable and somewhat fast-paced so um, it's you know it's got really quite quick combat compared to other games in the genre um, and definitely a big focus for us as well was creating an interesting mood with the setting of this Indiana Jones kind of 
world where, uh, you know, the visuals really try and, and bring the game alive with a, a, a kind of, yeah, just colorful, but really atmospheric setting as well. Like we had put a lot of work into that area. So I don't know if this is a really, really long explanation for the game, but basically it's an, it's a turn-based game that has um, these choose your own adventure style events that you go from. Um, another way to kind of put it, I guess would be if you, you know, if FTL and XCOM had a baby in a Indiana Jones world, it, you would end up with something kind of like Pathway. Though I will say the reference to XCOM is really actually not great because we, yeah, it's, it's not that much like XCOM at all. Like the combat, it, it's just an obvious comparison. It is, but XCOM and Laser Squad before it and all those other games, they have a very different... Sorry, I'm old. <laughs> but they have very different sort of concepts. Uh, there's, there's, It's not... How can I put it? It's, it's, it's more terrifying. XCOM games are generally more terrifying. No offence to Pathway, because there is zombies and the undead, but there's still that, that Pulp Fiction sort of engine... Yeah building underneath it so you have you're not going for that kind of atmosphere whereas in the XCOM games and also the the way the the tactics work and the it's it's there's just there is they are both tactical games i grant you but you know it's the, the different things yeah we definitely try to take a, a lighter approach to tactics games where um you know this is kind of where like we we realized as well when the first game first came out, we kind of used that XCOM reference and people approached the game with the wrong expectation where they were expecting a really deep combat system similar to what, what, what I guess XCOM has. And like, it's just not what we were trying to do. We were trying to have a, a fast paced combat where you don't spend 45 minutes in one combat, but no, it maybe takes five to 10 minutes and then you're done, right? So you move at a fairly fast pace um, and that, of course, had like an impact on the game design um, because we, you have to make some decisions if you if you make those changes. Uh, yeah, I mean, XCOM yeah. and an engagement, you'd be sitting there for, for ages, going, "Yeah, I can't put him there. Why? Because they're going <laughs> to flank, and that's going to just. Well, what if you just threw a smoke grenade? Yeah, that work. Then I put them on Overwatch. That never works. Let's do it anyway. Fine." <laughs> and it's, it's just not that kind of game the kind of yep. game is I liken it to the fighting fantasy books I don't know if you know those but <laughs> there were choose your own adventure as well and they but they had dice rolling in them you had a character sheet in the back and I remember as a teenager again I'm very old because they were in the 80s and you'd do a thing and you have to go into a fight And but the fight would last a minute because you're rolling dice and you're just trying to fight off this creature and stuff and uh, yeah. that that's how I approach it. It's like, oh, it's like fighting fantasy only with actual separate characters and some area control. And I love luring. One of the things I love doing in Pathway is luring enemies into a kill zone. Uh, I say kill zone. I mean, basically luring me in, grouping them together and lobbing a grenade right in the middle of them. It's, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fun. Just, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Seeing them all get wiped out or if they're doggies. They just disappear, everyone. You don't hurt doggies in this. We can turn that on, which is a lovely option, because um, you do get attack dogs. But they just disappear. They just go to sleep. They don't get hurt. No doggies get hurt in this game. But um, no, I think it's a, an excellent explanation. And the overworld aspect is lovely. The whole choose your own. Like, should I go left or right? 
or just go back on myself and get some supplies. Could do that. <laughs> That's happened. That, that that does happen. There's nothing wrong with going back, getting more supplies and fuel and carrying on. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just that, you know, the ability to be able to put down the game basically after one combat if you want to, and then pick yeah, it yeah. back up again and continue for a few events. And yeah, yeah, it's that. It's a casual approach to the genre, I would say. Not casual in a negative sense, like that. It's you know, like maybe light is the better word to it. Like it's it's um again like kind of goes to I guess the kind of games we're playing at the moment because of that. Um, where we want games that are approachable and easy to pick up and put down again. So. Yeah. So, first design question. Here we go. There's a concept of bravery within Pathway, which is uh, a resource during a tactical combat. It, it uh, Basically, it's a little bit like momentum in the Modifius games, if you're familiar with those uh, RPGs. You may, some listeners may be, and that the more successes you gain, you gain momentum and you can actually expend momentum to do awesome things. Similarly with Pathway, you have these bravery tokens or points which you can do use to do awesome things, things you wouldn't normally be able to do in a turn. Could you talk us through how they how it came about? Was it always there? Was it something you added later? Yeah, it, it was actually part of the game from a very, very early stage. Um, mm-hmm. We, the game went through a lot of phases and uh, had a lot of changes, but the bravery system was something that was there from the beginning. We originally had called it, I think, bravado, which mm. I guess just didn't <laughs> didn't sound as nice as bravery. No, so. and it has a bit of male <laughs> connotations. It doesn't have to be male connotations, but yeah, it it you know because there are male and female characters in the game, which is one. You know, and for, from all the genders and races and cultures it's wonderful so that's yeah that's yeah i mean you've got you've got a whole smorgasbord of, of people it's great but yeah, yeah. um but say so was bravado but now it's gone to bravery which is way better but you know tell us what was your thinking behind it why was it always there yeah so i i mean in a way it's like you explained it it's just it's it's a it's a resource right so um a common way to kind of limit some of these I guess stronger moves that you can make, some special moves or special actions that you have in in turn-based games, um, quite often are limited by a turn counter. So you will say, okay, well, you can do this action once every three turns or whatever. There's some sort of cooldown on it. Um, and our way of doing this is just slightly different. What we're saying, okay, let's actually just create like a pool that you can recharge via doing some heroic acts <laughs> like so you know attacking an enemy or um like those kind of things recharge or fill up your bravery points um and then you can decide how you want to spend those so it's not like saying you can do this actions only once every three turns but it's like well as long as you have bravery points you can do it every turn it's just a matter of how many bravery points you have um and so it, i mean I think on paper, it's really not all that different to like, a, a, I guess, a, a, a mana, you know, in an RPG where you have a limited finite resource that you can recharge with some sort of um, system. And then you get to decide how you want to spend those points. Uh, so I think it's just, it's an interesting way to, I, I like having systems where the player makes a choice. So 
um, there is, you know, that choice that is put in front of the players. Well, okay, I have these bravery points. How am I going to spend these? Um, I can do this or this or that. But when you do that, it also limits what you can do. Like it limits the other actions that you can take. So it's like, in, in a sense, it's a compromise you got to make between those different um, actions you could take. And yeah, so it, it's it really is. I guess a different take on the on a cooldown mechanic. It still limits how often you can do something, um, but it at the same time also encourages the gameplay style that we want to see in the game, which is um, I guess a more offensive and aggressive gameplay style. Um, we try to actively encourage that where the player doesn't play too defensively, but he's actually taking action. He's moving towards the enemy and he's trying to get this done. Um, and that's sort of the, the fact that bravery is rewarded by doing those actions or like taking, I guess, an aggressive approach kind of motivates the player to keep going with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And then the, I just want to interject on the, 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 the yeah. concept of attacking. So there's a board game I really like called Kemet. Now, Kemet is a what they call dudes on a map, okay? Lots and lots of little figurines on a map. But it's set in ancient Egypt, so there's a commonality there. And that game encourages players to beat the living daylights out of each other. It, you get points for winning fights. If you sit and right. turtle up, you will lose. There's no going, you know, any player is like, I'm just going to sit and turtle. Then you're going to lose very, very badly because the game is no mechanics at all for that kind of play will not let you do that. And for me, that's what Pathway's a bit like. Like, No, you're just these three people um, just, you know, causing trouble, being mischievous and, you know, misbehaving, to quote Firefly. You know, that's, what you, that's what they do. They aim to misbehave. Uh, and yeah. that, uh, that is reflective in the, in the engagements. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it's, it's obviously definitely, you know, the, the setting that we have there with, like, these big characters that are doing these heroic things like the pulp kind of vibes like it's definitely uh, came from that originally i guess that we were like well how can we kind of try and make this feel like there's this aspect of like you know this is like where bravado came from like under these big kind of moves that you can make and encourage the player to kind of get a bit of like get in the action and make these crazy things like do these crazy moves and do these crazy actions um so yeah it's yeah. So I think it's a really very important point to note that yeah, in XCOM it's perfectly acceptable to let them let the, the enemy come to you, but no, don't do it here. So um, items. All characters have these special items, whether they be bandages, for example, for healing, or grenades, or or repair kits, or weapons and stuff, and that's fine. But in some cases, these supplies. Don't, well, these items don't work unless you have general supplies which are back up those items. They are like a an additional resource that you have to gather. How did that come about? Why is that mechanic there? Why do you have that? It's like it's almost as if you're buying the ability to do a thing, but yeah. you still need to gain a resource on top of that in order to execute that ability. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it actually... When the game released, it wasn't like this. Mm. And so this is actually one of the more dramatic design changes we made post-release and um, was actually suggested by one of our community members. So it, it's it, 
I just want to quickly and tangent here, like the community has been really important to the shaping of the game post release. And it's, it's really interesting that back and forth between the community and how it's mm-hmm. actually shaped design decisions that we made. Um, and so anyway, it's just quick. I wanted to mention that it's really interesting. And I think it's something that, you know, as game designers, we quite often kind of isolate ourselves. Yes. And it's something that I keep learning is like, no, you got to engage with the people that actually play your game and you got to engage with them and have these conversations. And even a lot of their opinions will be wrong. There's a lot to be gained from, like such as this, right? So the, the item system, uh, the supply system was something suggested by the community. So when the game released, um, we had it worked the same way as it would work in, for example, um, Diablo, where you'd get your potions and you just stack them. And in our case, it would be mech kits. You just stack them in the inventory. And as it happens, you just start filling up your inventory with all these consumable items. And there was different um, degrees or quality of items. So you'd have some that, you know, heal you more, some that heal you less. And it just ended up that we had an inventory or quite often the player was just managing inventory and playing like, well, how can I actually keep all these items? I know I'm going to need them at some point, but I don't want to. Um, and so we changed that around and we said, okay, well, let's just give the player an item that tells him this, this is how much you can heal when you use this item, but to use it, you need the, the supplies. Um, and by using these, like by introducing these supplies, we then basically also created another point similar to what we just talked about in bravery where there are um, a choice to be made. It's like, well, am I going to use these supplies to heal my teammate or am I going to use to throw a grenade because they both share the same resource? And so I, I think that was a really interesting way to actually simplify the way the, the inventory management, item management worked in the game, but at the same time introducing more interesting decisions to the player. It was like, well, okay, I, I'm going to have to make a decision here because supplies are limited. You can't take an infinite amount. Um, but it also really elegantly just solved the problem of having an inventory filled up with items. So I can see that. And uh, it also gets away with what I call the BFG syndrome. The thing you pick up but never actually use. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you've got it. I've got to wait to the big monster. It never arrives. <laughs> just shoot. Just fire it. It'll be fine. Yeah. And I've learned that from, you know, just the amount of times I've played RPGs and right at the end of it. This this potion, this I've never I had it from the first dungeon. I never used it because I'll just keep that. Don't do that. Just yeah. just use it. Just use it. Just, if you got it, just it's it's a waste. Doesn't matter. Just at least you used it. <laughs> you know, so Yeah, and like I and how many people do actually enjoy managing inventory? I don't know. Maybe there's a group of people that really sure enjoy Sure but is. it's it's not for us. Um, no, they're, they're called those match three games, apparently. But anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I was almost through Shade Against Threes, which I'm not going to do because that's an awesome, awesome mobile game. But anyway, um, next question. The tactical play with any tactical game. Positioning is really, really important in Pathway. And... Um, what have you done? For how have you? What kind of things have you done in the design and interface to inform the player 
of where they are risks and opportunities in any given tactical situation. Yeah, um, can I just start off with quickly explaining why positioning is so important in Pathway? Because I feel sure, like it's kind sure. of important to the discussion. Um, yeah, and because yeah. it, it's it's slightly different to I guess how it works in 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 some other games in this genre. Um, where when we started out with Pathway, we actually had intended to make a game that's completely deterministic. So there was no randomness in, in the game at all. Like it was basically more like, again, I guess like a, a chess game where you know, have perfect information and you know exactly what your move is going to do. Um, but as the game developed, we changed that and we started introducing elements of uncertainty. Um, and so this was actually one of the things where we changed. Um, the way the combat works is by so in the deter fully deterministic system basically you, whenever you had a shot at an enemy you had a guaranteed hit so it was like the question was like can you actually attack an enemy or not um, and that automatically makes positioning extremely vital right it's like well if an enemy is behind a cover you can't attack him if he's out of cover you can attack him so positioning became extremely vital um, and we but we found it was actually it just did not suit the gameplay style that we wanted in the game. So that's why we started introducing cover as a means to introduce randomness. So now in Pathway, when you're behind a cover, randomness is introduced. But if you're out of cover, there's no randomness. So if you have a straight straight shot on an enemy that's not behind a cover, you have a guaranteed hit. If they are behind cover, that's where we start rolling a dice. Um, so that was just a quick tangent to explain why positioning is so important, because it basically mm -hmm. still means... The, the most effective way to do damage to an enemy is by moving your characters. Um, that's just the way Pathway is designed. And it, so that's also, again, encouraging that offensive gameplay style where it's like, well, okay, you got to move, do something. That's where you're going to get your reward. Um, now, to answer your question, uh, it, it's, it's, it is a UI question, right? Like, where, yeah, how, do you communicate, how do you communicate this to the player? Mm. And... UI is really hard. Like it's it's so so hard. And UI in strategy games is really really hard because you got to find a compromise between sharing information and at the same time not making it overwhelming. So what we've done is we try to solve this by introducing what we call the tap mode, basically where you can press the tap key and it gives you more information based on the context you're in. So, for example, when you um, decide to move to a certain position, you can, by default, you see how much health does the enemy have there and all those kind of things. And you can see I can attack this enemy there by he's being, like the enemy is being highlighted. Um, and then when you press tab, you get additional information. Is, is this enemy, um, like what's the hit chance that I'm going to have for this enemy? Um, and we kind of try to follow this concept in different areas of the game where when it makes sense, the player can press tab and they can get more information that they need. But it doesn't. So it means by default, they're not being overwhelmed with all this information that they might not actually want to to have. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. It's it's something that I find fascinating with tactical games. Is why I wanted to raise it is the player feedback. Uh, um, you know, knowing to where they can actually, because that's the point about tactics is you can't 
in order to actually make significant progress and positive progress is you're going to have to expose yourself in some part and hope mm. that you've got enough cover the hope that you've actually got some counter measures to stop them from shooting you anyway like um you know, there's one evade which is wonderful just like oh you shot me right point blank but somehow i dodged a bullet because i'm a hero <laughs> you know and it's fine um but uh yeah it's 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 really important that you communicate to the player when making games like this that they have a fighting chance because you have to assume that the per the character they're controlling has a degree of situational awareness and that's what you've got to model in this strange yeah. 2D map yeah and it's you know and I think part of this as well is like I'm very conscious of what do we actually show the player because mm. what you show the player they're going to care about so yeah. like this is why like for example we decided not to show hit chances by default all the time because it kind of just makes it a thing of the player is just going to you know move his mouse around trying to find the which one shows the best value rather than them actually stopping and thinking about what am i trying to do here right and so yeah. i think that's something that like ui is very directly connected to how the game is being played Mm. And I think, especially in strategy games, like you got to think about that. It's like, well, what is it that you're trying to actually make the player do? Do you want him to just, do you want them to just read like stats off the screen, or do you want them to think about what their strategy is? And so, by hiding information, you can also control how the game is being played, and by showing information, you also have an impact on how the game is being played. Yeah, yeah, it's a really difficult balance to do, but you don't want them to go into matrix mode and to see the code. And see the woman with the red dress. Uh, exactly. On that, because end up they'll just end up going. Well, I'll just you know play in the spreadsheet, and you must have just play Slay the Spire then. <gasps> Terrible thing to say. Anyway, supplies. Last question, Stefan. Here we go. In the overworld, everyone, there's um, there's this ability to earn and lose supplies. You have supplies of fuel, and also of um, of uh, like uh, cash. And there's also uh, ammunition as well, all those kind of things. And um, they are in short supply, and depending on the difficulty you set, because there is a lovely difficulty setting that you can actually manipulate the game to to, to alter the game slightly to, to your own sort of um, desires, like how, what kind of experience I want to have with this. I want to have a, a tough slog, which I've barely scraped through alive, or to skip through, you know, and uh, beat Indiana Jones, although he doesn't really skip through things. He bangs on about things being needed to be in museums. But how have you found balancing uh, risk-reward uh, to the player as they explore the overworld to pathway? What have you done to really give them, them being the players, that not illusion, but that definite uh, sense of choice? And they will, you know, that choice will be whatever, they have to take ownership of the consequences of that choice. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And it's a really, really tough thing to balance right as well. Um, because there is, a, like, because of the way the game works, you don't see the consequences of your actions sometimes until you're, you know, if you like a few events down down the road and suddenly you're like oh okay now things don't work to my favor anymore and so we've gone through a lot of iterations on this because of that because 
at the end of the day, we still want the player to feel good about themselves. Like we we want them to come out of this being like, oh, I I like that was awesome, right? Um, and so uh, we've included a few elements to kind of soften the blow for the player, I guess, in a way. So um, you know, if for example you run out of fuel, the we give the player a recovery system where they can actually continue on foot and try and regain fuel so they can continue with their cheap journey and when whilst you're on foot there's a penalty you know you, you're being damaged so there's definitely like a sense of urgency where you're like okay i'm i really got to get this done now i'm gotta find some fuel um and so we kind of have like those mechanics i guess in place where we're like okay we're trying to help the player a little bit out um and then behind the scenes there's other things that happen that indirectly will cause the player to or indirectly will ensure the players should get enough of the resources they need. Um, and so, the, as you mentioned, there is quite like you haven't you have a choice when you play the game to sometimes say, oh, I don't want to engage in this combat. I just want to skip past this Nazi camp, or I don't want to explore this tomb, or whatever. And the player can do that. But in the background, actually, the game kind of keeps track of the choices the player makes. And at some point, the game is going to be like no, you're now going to engage in this combat and there's no way for you to escape this. Now, we obviously don't present this to the player in that way and the player is not aware of that. It's just, it will seem like this is what's being done to you, the part of the adventure. But what that does is you will end up in a combat and by going into combat, you also then have the opportunity to receive loot and quite often that will mean, okay, you get a new boost of supplies that will carry you through to the next point where that might be um, needed. And so, yeah, we kind of, we try to protect the player somewhat from themselves, I guess, in that way, where we're like, okay, even if you, you know, decide to play the game in a non-optimal way, there's some ways we try and support you in that. Um and then as what you mentioned as well, there's also just there are people that just like exploring every single point on the map and they don't care about making progress. They just want to see what happens in different places. And that's for those people we introduce like those difficulty settings where it's like, OK, well, I'm just going to have a bit more extra fuel. I'm going to have some more of those resources to kind of allow them to play in the style that they enjoy the game. I, I personally like the, the, one, the, the one of just making it out alive. That's that's the I love that fine sort of like I've got one bit of fuel left and I've got like four ammo <laughs> just just desperately like I'll be fine yeah. we'll be fine you know because there's the last cross right at the end of the map going oh, it'll be fine do you realize what we've been through because that whole narrative in my brain is like this this woman's like practically dead and this bloke is well he's doing fine but I think. He's got delusions of grandeur. I've just got all this whole narrative going on in my head about all the three yeah. characters, how they clearly should not be working with each other, but they have to kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's lovely. So for me, that's yeah. how and I that's, it. It's definitely what we're trying to create in terms of like yeah. storytelling, where it's like there's this sense of scarcity at some point, and then the game rewards you, right? And yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, now I can breathe again for a little bit. And then you suddenly are like, oh, okay, now i got to take care of this as well. Um, and so, but it's... It's tough. Like, it's really tough because this is really where randomness is not your friend, right? And it's something that we haven't really talked about it much, but the game no. does have a lot of procedural elements where 
yeah. what happens on the map and what events happen is not um, like it's not strict linear, like linearly defined, but it's actually randomized and you have different experiences as you play the game. And so that makes it tough. Some of those things like creating those because in an ideal world, I'd really like the game to have exactly that kind of progression that you mentioned. Right. It's like where you start off, you feel great and like a big hero. And then at the end, you're like just barely making it through. And it just you're like. That was great. That's I the just real made it. hero story, you know, just yeah. barely making it through. That's what makes heroes: the fact that they're the ones that barely make it through. Yeah, you know, that's the point. You know, the, the struggle against adversity. That's the point. That's the point. And I think the way you balance it, when I just played it on the, because I love playing games on normal difficulty, because I believe that's what a developer designed it to be. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I like to do it. Some there are there are. Uh, extreme cases where that's not the case uh, but for I just don't I just don't touch the difficulty because I tried to see what the de- designer had in mind for their game and it reminds me there's another board game uh, Tales of Arabian Nights which is very similar to uh, I think it's called that uh, Arabian Nights but it's basically um, you know you're walking around a map of, uh, of the world actually and you're going around doing things and um, sometimes you you end up finding a great treasure other times you end up finding yourself being turned into a monkey but that's okay because it's all part of the experience yeah. and uh you know just just making it just making it back to baghdad it's fine <laughs> it's fine but um no um it's a pathway then which has been developed by robotality it's a great name where did it come from the name of the developer your yeah. <laughs> it's it's the most boring story ever but we actually uh-huh. used one of those random name generators <laughs> and, and like we were just kind of clicking through all these variations and like i guess it used like some sort of you know different like first words and second words and just mixes them together and one of them was robotel and you were like hey that sounds kind of cool and then you know we're kind of like oh what could it mean it could be like robot and like you know mentality or something or yeah Yeah. all those things and so yeah anyway it was just a name that we liked and it was literally like thank you to the person whoever wrote you know this name generator online it was yeah yeah yeah. that's fine it's great just you know i mean you can even be that with 3am meeting with a whiteboard going okay we're gonna go for yellow pig yeah (laughs) we'll do no offense to yellow pig fantastic developer Right. I don't know if it exists. Right. And yes, so Pathway is also is made by Robotality and published by Chucklefish. And it's out now on... Uh, I'm going to get the platforms right. If I get it wrong, let me know. I know it's Windows PC because I, I played it on that. Uh, Mac OS and Linux, is that right? Correct, yes. Yeah, cool. And now on Nintendo Switch. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, Stefan, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, I, I, I had a great time. Hope you did. Uh, and you're more than welcome to make a return visit when you've released your next thing, whatever that may be. Or whenever that may be. But we will be here, I can assure you. But, uh, Stefan, thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts find us on twitter facebook instagram twitch youtube and at our website cane and rinse.com. 